Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. I'm back with my colleagues, Brad Johnson and Matt Corey. Good to talk to them again. Uh, Brad, let's get right into it. So as of today, who represents the Orioles in the All-Star game? Well, I, I don't think they're going to have anyone win a vote. Uh, and I see three candidates they could probably call on to, to fill in uh, as the team representative. The guy I think as of today would get it is probably Jorge Lopez uh, when they – pull a guy uh, that hasn't been, you know, near the top of the voting. It's often a reliever. Uh, I can, I have, I have two more picks if uh, you want me to go through them, but I'll let Matt go through his pick first. Um, so I think the, the answer is probably Trey Mancini. Um, I think the right answer is Austin Hayes, but I think the real answer is Lopez or, or Keegan Aiken. So uh, I'm hoping it's Hayes, uh, and if it is a reliever, while Lopez has the saves, and that probably qualifies him. I think there's four Orioles in uh, the top 25 in uh, wins probability added, and Lopez is not one of those four uh, out of the relievers. So um, They don't really have they, anybody who's like jumping out at you and, and being completely dominant, but I – right. Know, I don't want to speak for you, Brad, but I, I think you and I are probably on the same page here as far as none of them are going to get voted in, you know, on the team ballot. And and so the likelihood is that someone's going to get picked at, you know, by by fiat after the fact. And right. that is likely to be a, a, a reliever or Trey Mancini. Uh, and if, Trey it's, Mancini. if it's Mancini, are we saying that first is uh... – you know, less depth at first than there is in the outfield. It, it's a nice excuse to just get him in the home run derby again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's put up good performances there in the past. And he's a good story that everyone likes. They, they get to trot out the cancer story on a national stage. And I think the, the network's probably pushed for that a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly is a story uh, that works, and uh, he's been hot the last month. His overall numbers are uh, looking fairly solid at this point. So, interesting to see what the next few weeks uh, show there. And, and my but, other two were uh, Mancini and Hayes, by the yeah. way. So, I guess we're going to alternate uh, good news, bad news here. A couple questions. So, want to have the All Star and maybe start off on a lighter note. The bigger story for the last week has been that Grayson Rodriguez has been lost for months. He was on the precipice of a uh, ascending to the majors, uh, so he's lost at least for the next few months, potentially for the remainder of the year with a lat injury. I don't think there's a whole a lot for us to say. Obviously, it's better than a shoulder or arm injury. It's a missed opportunity for extended major league time here in the year. And Orioles GM uh, Michael Elias expects him to begin the 23 season in the O's rotation, which uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, And we'll see if that holds or if next year they decide, hey, we're going to hold him down for a little bit longer and get that additional year of uh, team control. But uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, Anything that I missed here, Matt? 
I don't think he missed anything. I, I think it's extremely unfortunate, but you know, it, it's definitely not surprising. The the art of pitching is on a very basic level, the art of staying healthy. Um, so that's not to pin an injured label on Rodriguez. You know, he's been pretty healthy his his entire career. Um, but uh, you know, he's a pitcher and uh, death comes for us all eventually. Uh, injury comes for pitchers. Um, it will be here if you, you know, on an infinite timeline, every pitcher gets hurt. It's just a question of when and how. Um, so I, I think, you know, the maybe sort of a, a backhanded compliment is, uh, you, you know, in a way, this is maybe the best scenario for the Orioles. Uh, they don't have to call him up. Um, he doesn't have a long-term injury. He doesn't have a shoulder or an arm injury. Um, you know, those are the things that kind of really impact a, a pitcher's ability, ability to perform long-term. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, he should be ready for next season, certainly, and, and potentially, you know, for, for the very end of the year that they could, they could call him up, uh, you know, in September uh, if he's, if he's healthy. So I, I still don't, I don't think this changes who he is long-term. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's probably the good news. Yeah, that's certainly the good news. Obviously, you, I would like to be seeing him getting you know, some major league time this year and think he'd be that much further ahead for next year. But uh, obviously, uh, not a uh, shoulder injury. That's that's great news, Brad. Anytime you see a pitcher go down or release a prospect, you always see the acronym. There is uh, no such thing as a pitching prospect. Kind of where do you come out on, on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I do a lot of fantasy stuff and. Uh like deep like dynasty type leagues where you're you're rostering you know 18 year olds in in rookie ball and that there's a it applies there too we we try to avoid the pitching prospects more so than the hitters anytime you can turn a a 19 year old who's throwing well into a 19 year old who's hitting well that's a that's a win i i will say related to uh rodriguez i i cringe anytime i hear a lat injury because those can be really tricky to recover from uh it's just going to depend on severity and some, you know, specifics of the case. You know, I'm not a doctor. I just know from experience watching these injuries around the league, they can be sometimes straightforward, sometimes, you know, multiple years of recovery. Uh, multiple years. We're going to have me drinking early today. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, again, we're going to alternate good news, bad news. So, Good news, Gordon. Uh, excuse me, Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg both have reached AAA. Uh, they both have position versatility. They can both play short. Henderson's defense is said to have improved this year. I'm projecting Henderson largely at third and Westberg largely at second when they ascend to the majors. I'm pretty high on both. Obviously, Henderson's become one of the game's best prospects by what he accomplished this year in AA at his age. So let's play either, neither, or both reach the majors this year, Brad. I think we see both, uh, not for a lot of time, uh, and it's certainly going to depend on them you know, hitting their way out AAA. Uh, but if they're hitting, and Henderson in particular, I have no reason to doubt he's going to hit enough. Uh, Westberg might be on the edge a little bit. Uh, they, they seem to want them to stay together and, uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably see them late in the season as a little bit of uh, getting their feet wet. Matt, what do you think? I think Westberg is far more likely to come up. Um, Henderson doesn't turn 21 until the end of this month. Westberg is already 23. Uh, and I think that's the big deciding factor. 
Um, you know, Henderson really dominated double A in a way that Westbrook didn't. Westbrook performed well, but, you know, Henderson was really impressive. Um, you know, his control of the strike zone, especially. But the way we've seen this organization hold players down and I, I wouldn't expect Henderson, you know, and Brad's more connected than I am. I would trust his opinion, but just looking at the numbers, uh, I would not expect Henderson to be up this year. I would expect them to play service time games with him, um, you know, into next year. Westberg strikes me as a less of a long-term organizational, you know, building block kind of piece. Um, and I would think they'd be less concerned about his service time. And, you know, he's already, like I said, he's already 23. So that's, you know, that's old for a prospect, um, relatively. So, um, I would, I would expect them to, if he performs in, in triple A, like Brad said, he's got to, got to perform in triple A. But if, if, uh, if he does, I would expect him up in September. Anderson and Westberg, uh, joined Kyle Stowers on the AAA roster. Stowers is raked this year for the Tides. He's awaiting opportunity on the major league level, basically a Santander, Santander uh, or Mancini trade. When that trio joins the O's, the everyday lineup looks like something like Mullins in center, Hayes in left, Rutschman catcher, Mountcastle at first, Santander at DH, Stowers in right, Henderson at third, Westberg at second, and a shortstop to be determined. Or if you want to say they extend Mancini and they could trade Santander, same general idea. To me, it looks like an interesting group. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I definitely think it's an interesting group. You know, there's some some talent there. Um, and I think that, you know, I think a couple things. There's not the black holes that we've seen on, on Orioles rosters, uh, you know, over the last few years. Um, you know, guys... I mean, obviously, we don't know how these guys will perform at the major league level, but just looking at who they are, you know, what we know about them up to this point, um, it seems unlikely that there will be players in that list who will absolutely straight out suck. Um, and and that uh, that you know, anytime you raise the floor, you're raising you're raising the you know the ability of the organization to win games. It's it's a huge reason the Rays have done so well. Um, they just don't trot out guys who are not good. Or, or who are not average. Um, the other right, thing that you're right, you're getting some level of production, even if everybody doesn't reach their respective ceilings. <laughs> which right, is, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing that, looking at that list, I'm not sure there's that much in the way. I think there's a, there's a lot of you know average to maybe good major leaguers. I'm not sure there's a lot of greatness there besides probably Rushman. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe Henderson. We'll see. Um, I I think the looking at that list, it still strikes me that um, what's going to determine the success of this rebuild is whether or not the front office, aided by ownership, can bring in outside talent because they are just not going to be able to. I don't think. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think they're going to be able to fill out an entire major league roster with average to above talent across the board at every position um, and, and compete that way. I, they're going to have to bring in somebody from outside the organization, probably multiple somebodies, um, 
I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, uh, are, are on. I know what your thoughts are, Chris. Brad, what jumps out to you? Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot. I hope I can get my thoughts in order because there's a lot I want to respond to with that. And I think uh, Matt Matt's along like a, a good path. Uh, there's uh, we're going to talk about shortstop in a second. I think that's a big opportunity for him to add from external. Uh, he mentioned the Rays. And it's not just the starting lineup that the Rays do well. It, right. Every player on their roster is filling a role at like yep. a, an above average or average level. And uh, they might be bad players and outside of those roles, but if you know they're on the field, they've been put in a position to you know succeed and be a good player. And I think that's where the Orioles need to get to. Uh, last week we talked about they they have a lot of money. Like they're not spending anything on payroll. Uh, one way they can address this, since they have so much uh, of the starting lineup kind of penciled in, uh, find these role players that maybe cost a little bit more than you know, league minimum, pay them a little bit to you know, really up the value of that bench. When guys go down, you're in a better position. When you're know, facing a specific type of pitcher, you can bring in your secondary lineup and attack them. Uh, they have this option or whether ownership acts in good faith. I know there's been questions with that with Baltimore for a long time and uh, we'll see. Uh, This also goes back to the last thing we're talking about uh, Henderson, maybe not coming up this year. And I think a lot of that will depend on what they see the club as next year. I think that they are in a position to say, we're going to be, this is going to be our first relevant year. It might not be a big deal. We might be sub 500, but we're going to go into this thinking that we have a place and a chance to contend. Uh, We're going to put some resources into the the roster to make it look right, like a real roster. And um, that should get us ready for our real contention window a couple more years down the line. Uh, I hope they do that. And I hope, uh, you know, investing in, line up the bench and uh, shortstop are a big part of that. So thinking about shortstop there, one potential free agent this year is uh, or after the season is Dansby uh, Swanson. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as a target for the Orioles? What would be the deal you currently project him obtaining? Maybe he's kind of, uh, it's been mentioned on the board, kind of like a J.J. Hardy type of uh, caliber of player. You know, not We're not talking a uh, superstar, but could be a steady regular and uh, a for what the team we described above, he would be another veteran presence for that uh, group. Uh, Brad, what do you what's your take there? You know, Swanson's not really my favorite shortstop, to be honest. I I hope they go and they try to to shoot big because you know with as much money as they have, they can shoot at Correa, then go for Bogarts, uh, Turner. You're expecting uh, Correa, obviously, to opt out of his. Yeah, I think that's very likely. Uh, Injuries notwithstanding, I guess. Uh, But if he's healthy and he's not having an unusually terrible season, he'll he'll opt out probably. Uh, But I I would hope that they're, you know, knocking on those doors. But if... They think that's maybe not practical. Maybe they see too much competition for those those players. Uh, Swanson's a fine consolation prize. He's nice, average or better player. Uh, I think you can probably get him for under a hundred million, uh, all told. Uh, depends how many years. Yeah, uh, he might be. A, he's young enough that he could go for a six-year contract. Uh, 
the, I'd say either four years at like a little bit under 25 or maybe up to six at a little bit under 20. It just depends on, you know, what he's preferring uh, for his market. Matt, fault on the name, fault on the contract. Yeah, I, I think I like Swanson more than Brad, but I agree completely that there is zero reason for the organization to target Dansby Swanson when Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, and Trey Turner are on the free agent market, and they're all going to be out there. To you know, um, why when you're in this financial position and you're trying to build towards winning? supposedly trying to build towards winning, why wouldn't you go get the best player you can get? There's no reason not to. There's no financial constraints that we know of. Certainly, you know, that that Chris is detailed in, in you know, all his articles. There's just not any money <laughs> that is <laughs> that is promised to anybody beyond this season. Um, so there's no reason they shouldn't go out and get a Correa. Or, I mean, Trey Turner is a guy that I think um, I, I like him as much as Correa, you know, he stays on the field, which is something Correa's had trouble doing. Um, he can stay at shortstop. He's an underrated hitter. Um, he's a really fun player to watch. Um, you know, Bogarts, I, I, I love, I love Xander Bogarts. I don't think you would want to give him a long-term deal to be the shortstop. Um, you know, maybe if you have, I mean, there's, there's ways you can work around it, I guess, but why would you, right? Um, and Correa is a fantastic player, but, you know, health has been an issue for him. Um, and a long-term deal, I mean, maybe his best best bet is to go to the Twins and say, oh, I love Minnesota. It's so amazing. Um, let's work out a 10-year deal, sort of in a Mookie Betts kind of thing. Maybe top, not absolute top of the market, but get something done. Get your $300 million and and, uh, and be happy. Get a lake house or something. Um, Philosophy-wise, it's going to be extremely interesting to see what the Royals do when they have a a position of need there's free agents available that, that fit that and of course the Royals haven't played at the top of the free agent market since the, the mid 90s but when they've built this way and they're uh when you look out years ahead and you're uh <laughs> your uh the money under you know, team contract is extremely limited. Uh, there is an opportunity there. If they decide they also want to go for, uh, you know, pitching uh, at some level of impact type of starter, obviously I'm not expecting a run at DeGrom, but, you know, maybe a Severino or uh, Italian, or they want to go something in a trade or something with the increased depth that they have internally. You know, if, if they want to do that and target somebody like uh, uh, Swanson as somebody that should be, readily available for them. Uh, you know, I'm for that. Uh, it kind of goes back to what Brad said uh, in the previous question about filling out the roster to the point when you go in the spring training next year, that it looks like a complete legitimate major league roster. Yeah. The, the good teams, when they go into spring training, you, as an outsider, you're wondering how they're going to find playing time for everyone. Right. That's, right, a, that's right, the mark right. of a good team is you don't know how they're going to get their guys on the field. They get on the field. You, know, you look at the yeah. Yankees now, they they were supposed to be too crowded to play Gleyber Torres, and you know, he's playing every day. It, yeah, it kind of just happens. It, it happens. You, you you find your opportunity or uh, injury or otherwise happens, and, and you, you you find a way. Uh, you know, give me, the, give me that problem of too much talent. Oh, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. <laughs> uh, but 
yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. Something to watch there, just kind of philosophically, like you know, it was said on the board when I mentioned Swanson, like, hey, we're not rebuilding this way to get to the point of Dansby Swanson, and I totally agree with that. You you haven't built this to give you an opportunity at Dansby Swanson. That's that's a guy that should always be potentially available, even to a you know a, a team like the Orioles. But I, I wouldn't undersell Swanson. He's an above average fielder and he's an above average hitter. I think he's he's right. a good player. Yeah. He's a he's a good player. I'm just saying he's not a, a top of the market guy, but he's he's yeah. a guy that that can, you know. I agree that he should always be potentially available to the Orioles, but it makes some sense uh, in terms of either uh, need, availability, and and the price should certainly be affordable. Uh, I, I agree, Brad. Rather see maybe four years at, at a higher AAV than the six years at at a, a slightly lower. But you know, uh, we'll see what the market hold, holds out for him. Uh, And one more note on this topic in general, uh, the transition phase of it. Uh, Something I've noticed uh, when when teams are bad for a long time and they're trying to get out of this uh, rebuilding period, it's common to get your one big free agent ahead of time. Uh, The Phillies did it with Jim Tomey before they were quite ready. Uh, The Nationals did it with Jason Wirth. uh, And, you know, those guys came in a couple years before those teams were ready, but, uh, they, they, they helped bring you know that feeling of oh ownership is trying uh, the, the team itself starts to bond around you know attempting to win rather than attempting to finish games and it's uh, it's a big step in the the process from uh, switching from uh, the basement every year to an actual contender on a regular basis yeah you know, the blue jays I, I... have done it too the blue jays added ryu and then springer I'm not saying that yeah. was the right thing to do, but but they don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're following process. the same model. Yeah, yeah. That, that was kind of the point I made coming into this year, Brad, where I thought there was the opportunity over the winter where you didn't expect to. There wasn't anything the Orioles were going to do that was going to allow them to contend or be, you know, even 500 necessarily in 22. But if you wanted to be a contender in 23 or a definitive contender in 24, you could add a piece now that would help you uh, uh, later. I think if you could address, I think it was a missed opportunity. I agree. If you can add a, uh, you know, if you can add a, a shortstop piece, and we've talked about a couple of names there, certainly a, a range of uh, high end talent, and you can add a, add a starter, and those are two big asks. But if you could, uh, with the existing talent they have, I don't think, and with the expanded playoffs, uh, I think you could at least go into next year and dream. So, uh, 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 I- uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a question, actually, because this is going to really have a big influence on how they bring in expensive outside talent. Do you think they're going to leave the wall as it is? Uh, yes, I think they will uh, with maybe a slight change to the uh, – there's the angle kind of with the – Yeah, that, with, that flat angle that's scary looking. <laughs> right. Uh, like I think they might be able to – further address uh, that, but the depth, I think, is definitely going to be maintained. This is something that they looked at for, for several years, and Elias that, was the one that was, that leads was pushing me to it. Think, mm-hmm. Yeah, that leads me to think they probably don't want to invest in Aaron well, Judge. Korea, Bogarts, oh. uh, Judge, you know, guys who are right-handed power hitters. Yeah. Uh, instead, focus on either lefties or... You know, Turner's a lefty. Turner, Turner's a righty, but he's... A righty, he, okay. He's the type of hitter where you're less concerned about you know wall depth. Like, 
Yeah, and actually, that might even play. You know, moving. Yeah, he, he's going to take extra bases anyway. Yeah, more hits to left field. Well, they also, so, I mean, the conversely, you could also say it'd be more appealing for pitchers. But let's talk. Right. about – I think that's their hope. Let's talk about less of the top of the uh, pitching market, but any guy that's on a, a potential one-year reestablished value. Maybe then they will now look at Baltimore, whereas opposed you know, previously it's been like, why would I possibly want oh, yeah. to be in in that band box? But maybe they'll give a look uh, there. Um, so some good thoughts there. Uh, I'm not going to ask you guys who you think the Orioles should be taking in the amateur draft, but I am going to ask if you what you think the Orioles should be doing uh, again, philosophically wise. Uh, give you a link to some background there. There's an article at. Uh, ESPN, I believe it was Kylie McDaniel, uh, with his thoughts. Um, so Matt, the Orioles have the first pick in the uh, in the draft. Uh, they have the most money available to spend. Are you going with the whoever you identify as the uh, the best player, or are you looking to if you have a group of guys that you have graded fairly evenly? Are you going to Take the best deal you can, and then look to spend uh, that additional available money later in the draft. <laughs> well, I think the answer is both. I mean, yeah. it, it you know, if you really have, if you look at all those, uh, you know, all the top players, and and you really do grade them all evenly, um, I'm not sure I completely buy that. But if you did, uh, then. Yeah, you would you would try to save the most money so you can spend more money on guys, you know, later on in the draft. That's sort of you know the Pirates model. What they did last year, they picked Henry Davis not because they thought he was the best player, but because they thought he was a comparable player to the other top players, and it allowed them to spend a bunch more money on you know some of their other picks later in the draft. And 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 they had a, a you know for a year out, but uh, it seems like they've had a really nice draft. Um, I don't think they got the best player though. You know, I think uh, Jordan Lawler is better. I, I, I think, um, you know, Marcelo Meyer is, is, is probably better. Um, and, you know, I don't have I, a problem think... spreading it out. Uh, I, I don't have a problem spreading it out in general. I guess where I am with the, the number one pick overall is that I want you to identify the best, uh, best talent, whoever you think it is and, and go, go with that. Brad. Yeah. I'm sorry. Matt, Can I throw in one, one quick thing? Yep. I, sorry. Um, I, I know I'll forget. Um, I think a lot of times organizations overrate their own ability to properly analyze the talent. And the, the Orioles have a unique opportunity by picking first that they can get the best guy. You know, they're going to have, I promise you, there's going to be someone on the board who's the best guy. He might not be the cheapest, but uh, uh, he will be the best guy. And that's the dude they really should select. And they, and they did it with Rushman before. So I, you know, I'm not saying they won't. Um, but, but I think a lot of times, you know, organizations galaxy brain themselves by, by trying to get really cute and, and they end up, they end up making mistakes uh, and, and they end up with, you know, maybe a whole bunch of quad A players as opposed to uh, an above average major league starter. And I think you take the major league starter every time. So I'm sorry to interrupt, guys. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Uh, uh, Brad, where do you come out on that? Well, th this is 
we, we could get pretty deep with this topic, but I'll try to keep it surface level. Go ahead, man. Uh, and, and, and I'm not like a, a draft talk by any means. Like I, I let other people worry about mock drafts for baseball. I think it's kind of a, <laughs> a waste of effort almost uh, trying to figure out what these teams are doing because a lot of times they don't have any idea uh, up until a few days before the draft when they really start to, to nail down their boards. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Kylie had an interesting comment in his uh, article, that background he sent over about the metagame uh, for draft picks. And there's a lot of teams like this idea of let's get someone cheaper in the first round and then we'll get some bigger bonus guys later. The supply of those bigger bonus guys is finite. And so you, you have to kind of say, all right, there's, you know, 10 of these guys that if 10 clubs, you know, grab them before third or fourth round when we were hoping to save save them, uh, you, know, you, you wasted your first overall pick then. So I think, yeah, you, you get the guy that you think is best. You consider value. Uh, you, you don't obviously just like, if there's two guys who are almost the same, one of them's 5 million and one of them's 10 million, you probably, you know, take the 5 million guy. But if you have someone you like best, I think you take them. Two larger stories uh, around baseball. Uh, Joe Madden fired by the Angels. L.A. has been in a tailspin. Uh, Brad, what's going on uh, in L.A.? I, I was happy for them earlier this year because they're finally, you know, they, they, they have the star talent that they bring in and they never fill in the roster around it. Or if they do, something goes terribly wrong. And it looked like it was working. Uh, it stopped working. Uh, I don't I don't think. Joe Madden was really the problem. Uh, this is a, a long-standing Angels problem and the way they build teams. Uh, but I also don't think Joe Madden's like that good of a manager. Uh, you know, he, he's got a reputation. Uh, people who are more in baseball kind of you know sneer when you mention his name, though. And uh, he, he, Matt mentioned galaxy braining, and uh, he, he's a classic galaxy brainer. He's, he, you know, there was that walk with Corey Seager early in the year, which is hot nonsense. And he tried to justify it. And he, his, his answer should have been like, you know, I had a feeling in the moment and thinking back, that was dumb. That, that <laughs> but was it worked. the only right answer to that. Yes. <laughs> that that would have been a, uh, just a heroic answer, too. But yeah, true. It, well, he used to be that guy in a way. Like he, back when he was with the Rays, he would do and say stuff like that. And now he's got oh, really yeah. kind of conservative, except for these occasional like you just see him like he has like electrical shock go through him. And he's like, walk that guy. It's like what? It, I, I think it's good for their team to to get away from Joe Madden. Uh, get someone sane who knows how to use star players and you just put them on the field and let them be star players. But it doesn't solve uh, their problem. It doesn't solve their problems. They they got they got issues, but they, they also have enough talent to turn this around. Matt, you can just jump in. What, what do you see if the Angels? Yeah, I think it's a combination of, of a lot of things. And, you know, they probably overperformed in the beginning and that, you know, their GM. Taylor Ward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their, their GM and owner probably, you know, got expectations, got excited. And then then they had a bunch of injuries. Uh, you know, Rendon went down. Ward went down. Um I have a list. Fletcher went down and then Trout went down. Oh, and Trout also, uh, I think a big part of the reason they were losing is, you know, they depend on Mike Trout so much. And unfortunately he had this once in a career 
over 26 or something like that cold streak. Um, and uh, that sort of, you know, that, that really puts a hurting on that team's offense because they depend on him so much. Um, so, I, it, you know, I don't think Joe Madden was the, was the problem. Um, like, like Brad said, it, it goes a lot deeper than that. Uh, this is a flawed team and, and a flawed organization. And uh, that doesn't mean that they can't make the playoffs because the playoffs are much bigger this year, but it's um, they're going to have to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a flawed division. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but uh, they're going to have to kind of had the thought to be interesting if they, they put they're their they're stars up for uh I had the thought it'd be interesting if they put their stars up for sale and uh, went and rebuilt the organization that way, just how much, <laughs> what return they could possibly get there, but probably not happening in the... Yeah, uh, who, who, they who put do they up? have Otani? that they could trade? Just Otani, yeah, really, I mean, right? Yeah, he's going to be a free agent, what, not next year, right, the year after? No, I think he's got more of that even. Uh, I can look it up. Yeah, um, yeah. but they just they just don't really... I mean, they have a, a collection of young guys who have underperformed, you know, uh, uh, Marsh and uh, uh, Adele, um, Stassi maybe. Um, and and then they have these, you know, older expensive guys uh, in, in Rendon and Trout and um, uh, yeah. And, and, and then that's their, and who's that? Who's on their pitching staff? Uh, I forget. It's you're, a ton. You're right about Otani, by the way. Oh yeah. One more year after this. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he he so, would be the guy to trade. Yeah, I guess so. They, I guess so. they should get a huge haul. Uh, they have Michael Lorenzen, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers. That's right, Lorenzo. Uh, yeah. A few more guys, you know, in the yeah. backlog. But guys, so yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, guys. <laughs> last topic for the week. Uh, ESPN has an article up which looked at the infield shift potentially going to be banned. Uh, what's your take on that, both Matt? What do you saw some of the major leaguers comment and uh, your general thoughts on if you would like to see the uh, shift band or not. Um, my thought is that it's stupid to ban it. Um, yeah, I think it's stupid. Um, Anthony Rizzo said uh, in that article, he's quoted as saying, uh, that's the way we saw it for a long time. All those people in the Hall of Fame, they were playing under their circumstances. Our circumstances are that a ball up the middle is not a hit. It was for them. This is blatantly not true. Um, there are many circumstances that are different than back in the day. Black players, for example. Uh, also, Ted Williams got shifted all the time. Like, the shift is not new. It's being used a whole lot more because it works. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> another good one sorry uh while i'm while i'm rolling here uh aaron boone said i remember playing the cardinals when tony la Russa was there and one day they had a second baseman almost up the middle on me and i smoked a one hopper up the middle and he made the play and i was like damn that should be a hit no you hit it to the fielder and he fielded it and threw you out that's not a hit that's an out like this is not complicated you can put players where you want on the field there's not rules about it the only rules are you meet a pitcher on the mound and he's got to throw to a catcher. That's it. Everybody else gets to stand where they want. If you want to put the first baseman in left field, more power to you. I, I, I find this, uh, I find this annoying. And, and I know major league baseball is going to screw this up too. They're going to, they're going to draw big red circles on the ground and the players are going to have to <laughs> stand in them and they're all going to have to wear different colored hats. So they know where to stand in the right place. And yeah, I, uh, I, I want to slam my head into a wall. 
Brad, uh, agree, disagree, and uh, what do you see happening? Uh, my my opinion changes about this like minute to minute. Like I I I can see this from a lot of different angles, and so the first angle that I, I think is probably most important from baseball's perspective, uh, what what they really want is more hits on balls in play. Yes, yes. They, that's that's the the whole impetus of uh, th- this idea is we want more hits on balls in play. So by doing these studies in the minors, we should be able to have an in, like some sense of what is the rate of like increase of hits. And if it's small, we probably shouldn't ban shifts. And I think it's probably going to be pretty small because teams are developing more and more players who are less uh, you know pull the ball on the ground every time. Uh, those guys aren't making the majors as often, or they've uh, you know made adjustments to their to playing style that allows them to uh, make do with that. Uh, they yeah. they baseball is also doing a lot of different things at once, and so finding the right equilibrium, uh, you know, changes to the baseball and the humidors and uh, base sizes. They're they're doing the grip enhancers uh, probably later this season. Uh, Figuring all this stuff out on the fly is going to be difficult, and I think you can kind of put the shift on the back burner in terms of these changes. Yeah, to your point about the uh, adjustments, I mean, I think if the players wanted to adjust and hit for hit for average and, and go the other way that they would, I think they have consciously adopted the three true outcome error, and they're looking for uh, the pull the ball and put it in the air. So yeah, it, it, it's it's about home runs. You know, it, it, if you're trying to go the other way, you're not trying to hit a home run, and that's not the game uh, we're playing right now. We're playing try to hit a home run game. So that's, that's it, what wins. That's you know teams have right. studied it. it and, that's and the math. That is what wins. That that wins games way more. That it's way harder to hit three singles and score a run than it is to hit the ball over the wall one time. And that's what it, pays too. Teams get paid. Players get paid for that. Sorry, go ahead, Brad. Yeah, the other thing with shifts and the reason why they've become you know, so omnipresent is we have all of this advanced technology tracking how every player moves on the field. And not only are you, you know, adjusting for the batter, you're actually adjusting for your fielders. You're saying, this is how I put this specific fielder in the best position to make a play against this batter. That's what all of these shifts are in play for. And that's not going to change if you, you know, make zones where they have to stand. It's just going to change how they stand in those zones. Uh, I don't know. It's, it seems like baseball has bigger worries than the shift. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. Good thoughts from uh, Brad and Matt. Come and join the uh, Orioles and MLB talk at the site, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Look for the next articles from them. Thanks for listening. Catch us again next week. Take care.